0: In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
1: You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life And welcome to the podcast I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant
0: And Jerry's over there well, Look at those big stone heads behind you We must be on Easter Island Yeah, we are, <laughs> Chuck We just start every show like that with a little role play Okay Who are you right now? I don't know, I was, I'm was. i not sure what that was It started off as me, but then it went into like we, Barney Pfeiffer or something Right, yeah, there you go
1: <laughs> Barney Fife on holiday to Easter Island.
0: Yeah. Or Rapa Nui. Mr. Limpet. Yeah. Boy, that ages us. Or Mr. Chicken. The ghost of Mr. Chicken? Mm-hmm. Another good one. I'd say 75% of our listeners are like, who is Barney Fife? Right. Who is Mr. Limpet? Who is Mr. Chicken? Right. Go look it up. You'll be delighted. Yeah, man. Don Knotts. Yeah. He, he also
1: did great turns on Scooby-Doo. Oh, sure. And Three's Company. Yeah, man. He had a great career. I'd love that guy. R.I.P. Don Knotts. Is he not with us? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he died like in the last five, six, ten years. Okay.
0: I think. <laughs> you never know, man. You know, some of those people, you're like, oh, sure. Like Abe Vigoda, people thought he was dead for years. It was like a so uh, part of pop culture that Abe Vigoda <laughs> was dead. <laughs> he just died this year, he, I think. finally passed right. away. Yeah. Yeah. It was very sad.
1: Yeah. He's like, fine. Here I go. I think that
0: maybe that's a, <laughs> is that the ultimate compliment or the ultimate sign of disrespect that when you pass, everyone's like, I thought they were already dead.
1: Disrespect. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: We're on Easter Island. That's where we were. That's right. Rapa Nui. Yeah. Which means the big Rapa in Polynesian. Yeah. In Rapa Nui language. Did you know that?
0: Are you alluding to Joe versus the volcano? No.
1: Oh, Okay. That's the Waponi Woos.
0: Yeah, the big woo was the volcano. I just thought you were oh, kind of oh. playing on that. No, I
1: was looking high and low for what Rapa Nui translates into English and all I could see were jackasses who said that it translates to Easter Island. Like that's not what I mean, internet. Yeah. Um, did you punch the internet? I did. Yeah. But it turned out it was just my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the, uh, the closest I found was that Rapa Nui means big, Rapa, R A P A. No idea what Rapa
0: means. Did you see the movie Rapanui? No, the I didn't Kevin Reynolds movie. Is that who made it?
1: Yeah, I think he wrote and directed it. I know he directed it. I'm pretty sure he wrote it too. And who is he? What do I know that name? Oh, he's done all sorts of stuff. Is he Waterworld? No, that's Kevin um, uh, Costner.
0: Well, no, he was in it, but I think he directed he it, it as well.
1: Um, Who's Kevin Reynolds? Kevin Reynolds and Kevin Costner's. Um, careers were very much intertwined around Maybe that time. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. So they
0: got confused a lot. Like, he's done a lot of great stuff. But we, you didn't see Rapa Nui. No. I assume it's a a story, fictional story wrapped in the events mm-hmm. of probably the decline of the island. Would be my guess.
1: Yeah. Civil war, strife, possibly cannibalism. Yeah. What, what's interesting though is that that fictional story wrapped in the true life events. Yeah. In terms of the true life events are probably fictional as well.
0: Yeah, this actually, and maybe I should give our own article a break because most people have been telling the same story for years, which is basically mm-hmm. the story that uh, author Jared Diamond told in his book in 2005 called
1: Collapse. Right, he popularized it. He wasn't the first one to come up with this interpretation.
0: No, but he's he's the one that really he's the gun, germs and steel guy, right? Yep. One um, of, one
1: of my heroes. He wrote one of the greatest things I've ever read. Um, the worst mistake in the history of the human
0: race. Oh, really? Yeah. But Is please, it like a one-word book. <laughs>
1: what I, Urkel?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of something, but that's better than anything I could have thought of.
1: Uh, no, he was saying that he made the case that moving from. Hunt, hunting and gathering to agriculture was the worst mistake humans have ever made. Oh, really? It's great. It's all over the internet if you want to go read it. Really great, easy read, um, and life changing. Changed my life.
0: Uh, is that why you stalk buffalo today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> By hand? Yep. Raise uh, my own crops. <laughs> you come home, you're like, Yumi, skin that thing. I, <laughs> I, I need a pelt. She's like, I just got done
1: skinning the last one from yesterday.
0: Uh. You skin it. And you go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: where were we? We were talking about Kevin Reynolds Rap a New Week. Right. And Have then not we seen, were Sure. We were saying that um and by the way, Kevin Reynolds did direct Waterworld. Oh. He directed okay. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, a lot of Kevin Costner movies. Probably the Postman too. Uh no, he did Fandango. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. Um He's done a bunch of stuff.
0: All right, so I think I remember where I was, which is um we should take it easy on our article a little bit. I was a little annoyed that this article didn't say theorized right. and things like that. It kind of just said like, nope, this is what happened. And and it was really judgy. Like the thing that it bought
1: into is an extremely judgy interpretation of things. Yeah. And it bought it as fact. It's the judgiest article on the whole site, of
0: <laughs> Well, what about the one I sent you earlier today? <laughs> oh, yeah. How to deal with brown nosers? Yeah. We have an article on our site called How to Deal with Brown Nosers. Four pages. Yep. If you're looking for advice, go check it out. Goodness me. Um, weird times, my friend. Uh, so, yeah, I was a little annoyed that it, it kind of treated us all as absolute scientific fact. Yeah. Uh, when it certainly isn't. Um, it just seems like one of those things that, like, someone said it. Someone else wrote a popular book, and then everyone's like, oh, well, that's what happened. Right,
1: right. And that's really unusual for anthropology and archaeology. Yeah. Frankly, Jared Diamond should have known better. Um, he's really taken a lot of heat. Um, his star was pretty high at the time. He had like right. a Nat Geo show, I think. He wrote Guns, Germs, and Steel. He wrote this book, Collapse, How Civilizations... Decide to choose or choose to succeed or fail, and like even the the wording in that title, like how a, a society chooses yeah. to fail, you know, is really judgy in and of itself. So his he he definitely you know fell. There are a lot of um, plays on the word collapse and Jared Diamond collapsing as a result.
0: So now he goes to that geo and knocks on the door, and like everyone's like, shh, over. <laughs> turn the light
1: off. Yeah. no, if we, we turn it <laughs> off, he'll see that we're in here. But yeah, the, the point is, is that there is a, a set of facts related to Rapa Nui, to Easter Island, that when you put together, form a mystery. A mystery that's basically been around since the first Europeans set foot yeah. on Easter Island and then came back and brought news of this place to the rest of the world. People have puzzled over what happened there. And, um, the problem is, is the oral traditions that came along, uh, or that, that came from Rapa Nui, from Easter Island, um, came along in like the 1880s, a good 150 years after Europeans came and Christianized everybody. Yeah. When the population had been down to like a hundred people. Yeah. And even today, anthropologists and archaeologists say, well, like, we don't really trust the oral tradition from Rapa Nui right. at all. Right. Like, it's not a, they don't, it's not a trustworthy source of information. Even like, in a folkloric way, they're saying like, the basics of it might not even be correct. So, they're having to go back, which is very weird. That's a very unusual position to be in. Yeah. Um, both for the, the, the people for the indigenous culture and the people who are trying to figure out what happened. Yeah. Um, but, so, the, the challenge is to take what we do know for a fact about Rapa Nui and then interpret it Correctly. And not in a way that's like, this is it. This is the end all be all explanation. Right. Which seems to be this weird thing that Rapa Nui has over academics who should know better. Yeah. They say, this is it. And the, the part about Jared Diamond, the reason he fell so hard is that his interpretation or the interpretation that he glomped onto and like popularized in his book glomped? was really, <laughs> really judgy, really judgy. Really yeah. like these people screwed up yeah. with their stupid faith in some wacky, tiki god. Yeah. And, um, and look what brought them. And now we all need to learn the lesson because we're going down the same road. And that's just not done. You're not supposed to do that.
0: All right. So why don't we do it this way? We'll, we'll give you the story as has been theorized and popularized for many years. Yeah. And then we'll hold off till the end. I think that's good. For yeah. some new uh, insights. Did I give away too much? No, I don't think so. Okay. Just judgy. I was judgy. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, just because you say the word judgy doesn't make you judgy.
1: <laughs> Is that right? I think so. Okay.
0: Uh, and also, just want to tease this. We have a very special listener mail later, too. So how about Ooh. that? <laughs> Lots of reasons to stick around. All right. So... You keep saying these words like Easter Island and Rapa Nui like they're the same thing, because they are. Yeah. Uh, Rapa Nui, uh, also called Isla de Pasqua. Which means Easter Island in Spanish, right? That's right. Uh, Easter Island it was actually named, of course, when... doesn't matter what your island's called. When the Dutch or the British or the Spaniards would come and call in, they would say, oh, no, no, no. Here's what we'll call it. Right. doesn't matter what you say. So uh, we'll call it Easter Island, because <laughs> I'm a Dutch admiral named... Uh, Jacob Rogovin, mm-hmm. and um, it's Easter when I landed here in 1722. So what a great name.
1: Obviously, it's Easter Island. Rogovin also gets credit for discovering Easter Island. Um, actually, he was looking for an island that That's was Easter case. Island yeah. that had been described by a pirate named Edward Davis in 1687. Davis didn't come ashore. But, um, even Rogovin was convinced that Easter Island was the island that Davis had described. Did he say there are large stone heads? No, he didn't he didn't mention the heads yeah. at all. Well, which of is course,
0: weird. Easter Island is, I'm sure everybody knows this, but we should say right away that they are w- very well known and most well known for their moai, uh, MOAI, these um, beautiful, enormous carved stone. Statues, uh, not just stone heads and that whole boy, it's annoying that internet thing. It still pops up like once a year when people are like, look, there were bodies too. It's not just heads. They've discovered their bodies are buried underground. Like they've known that since like the early 1900s, hmm. but it this, it's this weird look up snopes. Like it's this weird internet thing where every couple of years, the same stinking article gets shared <laughs> that shows all these archaeologists like have dug down and discovered there are bodies beneath the earth, <laughs> right. uh, even though we've known this forever. You gotcha. So anyway, these beautiful, beautiful statues, which we're going to talk about in greater detail. Mm-hmm. But, um, let's talk a little bit about the, how the original island was, uh, well, what it was like there, who these people were, the Wapani. Originally Wup. colonized? Yeah, the Waponi Woos. <laughs> the Rapanui. That's Which right. So the
1: island is Rapa Nui. Two words. And the inhabitants of the island are called the Rapa Nui. Clean, simple, I love it. Right. So the Rapa Nui, they think, were probably a single family um, that was headed up by a guy who was considered the first chief of the island. Um, his name was uh, Hotu Matua, or the Great Parent. You Hold on.
0: Do you know what just occurred to me? What? A Vagoda was... The leader of the Mofoni Wu. Yeah.
1: All right. God, was there a better movie than that one?
0: It's one of my faves.
1: We've talked about it a lot. Yeah. It's Kevin Reynolds' masterpiece. <laughs> no. So, uh, Hotu Mutua is, is originally the first chief of um, Rapa Nui. Yes. And uh, he allegedly came with just his family. Yes. Uh, they don't know exactly what they were doing out in the their canoes, but they had seaworthy canoes because yeah. they, they hailed from Polynesia.
0: Yeah, and they were great, great uh, sailors. Right. Very experienced and hardy uh, at sea.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, and they, this would have been a long-standing tradition trying out, setting out for new unknown islands because they believe that Polynesians are descended from Southeast Asians yeah. who somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 years ago, left Southeast Asia, started moving eastward um, toward the western coast of South America in that general direction and would come across an island, stay there, popula- populate it, yeah. move on to another one, populate it. And that's how Polynesia got populated. Yeah. Uh, Rapa Nui, I believe, is the easternmost island in Polynesia. So they think that, that was settled last.
0: Yeah. Go to <laughs> Google Earth if you're in front of your computer and just type in uh, Easter Island, mm-hmm. and then it'll pop up this little triangular-shaped island, mm-hmm. and uh, then just start zooming out. <laughs> yeah. And keep zooming out, and you'll see a lot of blue, and it's amazing to think that people got there in a canoe. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because it's like 3,000 or 3,500 miles from, from, uh, Tahiti.
0: Right? Yeah, like 2200 miles from, uh, Chile. Right. But Chile is not where they came from. So no. they would have traveled by canoe. But that's the closest land. That, right. It's still 2200 miles away. Right. It's amazing yeah. how remote. But they traveled like
1: 3000, 3500 miles in a canoe. Unbelievable. To get from one, one island to another. And probably less. I think there's probably islands between Tahiti. And uh, Easter Island, but even still, they traveled a very substantial dif- distance. Right, and they they clearly were intending to either make it to another island or to colonize Rapa Nui because they brought with them supplies. Right, yes. they brought with them plants to plant, like uh, the taro root, which is like a, I believe a cousin of the sweet potato. It's like a purple sweet potato. Yeah,
0: that is correct. Uh, Nanners and taro. And this whole sweet potato thing too was, uh, there was somebody who put out there that. Thor Heyerdahl. Yeah, maybe they came from South America because that's where the sweet potato comes from. And then other people have since said, no, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that's not true.
1: Right. Well, Thor, yeah, Thor Heyerdahl said, hey, there's sweet potatoes here. Sweet potatoes are indigenous to South America. (laughs) Close. Therefore. They're from South America. Yeah,
0: he didn't really uh, and, put a lot of thought
1: into that. No, well, he was an explorer. Yeah. You know, that's what he did. He explored. He built a raft, Contiki, and sailed it himself from South America to uh, Easter Island back in the 50s. I mean, it was cool, but he was a doer, a little more than a thinker, right? Okay. And I believe they've concluded that the, the sweet potato actually originated in Southeast Asia, which just lends support even right. more. Right. Um, but, yeah, so they they came here, they settled this island, they landed on the shore. It's tiny. It is. It's about three times the size of Manhattan.
0: Yeah, it's a 64 square miles. Uh, like I said, it's triangular. And uh was created, like uh, a lot of the uh, islands, um, from volcanic eruptions. Yep. Which also come into play with these uh, statues, mm-hmm. as we will see.
1: Yep. And uh, when they landed, his family said, well, we're family but we better get to populating the place so here's some wine <laughs> right? here's some tarot root let's get to it right uh,
0: uh the the island they landed on though was uh potentially they think much different than the island that we know today mm-hmm. um if you go there today it's it's you're going to see uh, some white sandy beaches and not a lot of trees um no. they believe that there could have been as many as 16 million palm trees at first just like rife with palm trees. Yeah. Like so many of the islands, like,
1: God, doing with the palm trees whenever another one grows.
0: Yeah. And it wasn't the most, uh <laughs> it wasn't the friendliest. I mean, I say friendly. It was friendly, but it wasn't. Hospitable? Yeah. That's the word. There wasn't like just food everywhere and yeah. like tons of seafood. Right. Like apparently the waters around there are low in nutrients, so no coral reefs and that means not a lot of fish. So you had some lizards, you had some mollusks, you had some insects. And there was, you, if you went
1: fishing, you had to go deep sea fishing, like away from the island. But again. Yeah, like get a dolphin. Right. (laughs) Dolphin hunting. That's what they ate. I know. It's so gross. Um, which, which they could do because they had really great canoes. Um, but they, 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 it was, it was a, it was an ordeal. They ate a lot of vegetables
0: basically. Right. And a lot of those they planted.
1: Right. So, um, they're living this way. I, I, this article says they settled about 400 uh, CE, right? Yeah. Um, which was what, 1600 years ago? I saw elsewhere from more reliable sources. Most people think it was about a thousand years ago yeah. instead of 1600. So about 1000 CE, they settle the, the, the island and the population starts to grow pretty quickly. Apparently having six toes was a fairly normal, <laughs> Trait among Rapa Nui originally because yeah, they might be inbred. Sure, um, and uh, everything was going kind of hunky dory. They started, they started uh, ostensibly slashing and burning trees to clear land for fields,
0: um, and
1: uh, they they made a, they made
0: their way. Yeah, they were very spiritual people. Uh, they believed uh, in the idea of mana, a sense of mana, which is uh, this spiritual and political authority, and they. Uh, They instilled this through their arts, through, uh, cave drawings, and through these statues, which still haven't really gotten to, and through, uh, carvings, music, dance, and it was, it was a big deal. It meant a lot to them.
1: Right. So, the, 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 the Rapa Nuians followed the traditional Polynesian, um, structure of governance, which was, there was a, different clans, right? Yeah. Um, and then there was one head chief, one tribal leader, um, that was in charge of everybody. Yeah. Right? Basically like Abe Vagoda. <laughs> who else would you want? And the authority of that chief came from, uh, deceased ancestors. Other yeah. chiefs that had lived and died and were now venerated as basically idols, supernatural idols by the people who lived on the island. And this power came through the, came from these ancestors to the living chiefs yeah. in the form of this mana, this spiritual power, and one of the most um one of the most focused, laser focused ways mana was emanated was through the Moai.
0: That's a great place to take a break, my friend. Thanks. Nice setup. <laughs>
1: Hey, Chuck, Blue Apron is an amazing way to cook at home using amazing, fresh, amazingly great ingredients. And they're on a mission to bring it to as many people as they can.
0: That's right. They achieve this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. They have established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers all across the United States.
1: Yeah, and in addition to making some great meals, Chuck, you're going to save some money. People who eat out a lot or buy at high-end grocery chains can now spend under $10 a person for a delicious meal cooked right there at home with a little bit of love thrown in.
0: That's right, and talk about love, baby. The baked whole wheat rigatoni delicious little cone cabbage and sage in there, delish.
1: Delish indeed, Chuck. And right now, Blue Apron is making it even easier to give them a try. You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free, with free shipping, by going to blueapron.com slash stuff. You'll love how good it feels
0: and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash S-T-U-F-F. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Alright, these moai, which, uh, you refer to as heads, because you believe that internet meme. Well, it's not <laughs> so
1: much that, it's There's that a they're... lot of
0: head to the body. Yes. Proportionately speaking, yeah. it's almost all head. That's right, which some people think that one of the reasons is because they were meant to be a phallus.
1: Yeah, uh, and of course it's taken as literal fact by the How Stuff Works article. That's right.
0: Alright, so, um, These, uh, moai, these beautiful statues, that it's not something that you will only find on Easter Island. If you go to Hawaii or Tahiti, you will see similar type things. Uh, and this was, like you said, this was like the purest expression of that mana and how they felt about their ancestors.
1: I think that what they, how they understood it was that the mana, this divine energy or divine power literally transmitted through the, the, um, moai. Man, I'm going to have trouble with that the whole time. No, that's right. It's a, it's a lot of vowels together. Moai. It is.
0: M-A-O-M-O-A-I, right? I think that's a mistake you're making. You're thinking A. Moai. You're thinking Maori. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, yes, you're exactly correct. And um, so these things were built. Uh, there's a volcano there called uh, Reno Ara- uh, Raraku. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the pits of this volcano, they have this uh volcanic ash this rock that's very lightweight even though these things still weigh a lot mm-hmm. doesn't weigh as much as you know like granite would let's say right uh lightweight rock it's very porous it's um, malleable uh, it is very hard and it's uh originally it's tinted in like orange and ochre and um at first they would start uh, around you know 1200 AD or what do you say now CE CE uh,
1: it, but even that is um kind of a nod to that whole thing yeah uh, instead I'll, I think in uh, scientists just say years ago okay Ooh, I like that so that would be like 800 years ago that's clean or eight, or they say X years before present so ybp oh okay that's not as clean no
0: but I still like it yeah um I'm down with ybP Yeah, you know me. So, um, terrible. Uh, they started off kind of small. They were not as big as they would eventually get because they were just kind of learning and teaching themselves how to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, they were, they were still large though, but, um, they weren't (laughs) as large. Like, later on they would find some that they couldn't even move. And we'll get to this, but they would eventually move these things. But, like, El Gigante. It was the largest one they found, and that was, like, almost 72 feet tall.
1: Yeah, um, I think up to 165 tons is how much they estimate El Gigante weighs.
0: Yeah, but the the initial ones that they started with were much, much smaller. Right. So, like, let's go with 10 feet or so, and five or six tons.
1: Yeah, even that's still nothing to sneeze at, though, Mm -hmm. you know? Correct. Um, No matter how big your head is. (laughs) So, um... El Gigante specifically, though, is representative of I think one of the late, um, the late, Moai, because it's still there. It's still left in its volcanic pit. It was never even excavated fully. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just laying there. I think um, horizontally to the ground. Cause you know that like they would go in and be like, this area is going to be the moai and they would right. carve it out. They'd carve out the outline of it. Yep. And then they'd start carving down around it and start carving out the features, carve out beneath it. Um, or if it was standing up, they would carve out around it and then just leave a little pedestal.
0: Yeah. Called a keel. Right. Uh, this article says it was flat, but as we'll see later, that uh, may or may not be true.
1: Yep. And then they would separate it from its keel. And then bring it down the mountain somehow, maybe rope something like that.
0: Yeah, to their ahu, which would be the platform on which the moai would eventually stand, and they would line them up on the island's perimeter, facing in, in the, the island, not out to the sea. Yeah, which it says here, possibly they were, you know, lo- uh, guarding, uh, watchfully guarding the island. but sure. I would think that they would be looking out toward the sea if that were the case. I don't know. Who knows?
1: Um, but yeah, that that point though, where they were. Brought down the mountain and brought to their ahu. I mean, like, this, th- this island was, again, it's three times the size of Manhattan. That was not a, 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 a just a quick thing necessarily. No. And that's course. actually like a huge mystery. How did they get these things? That again, some, like, the small ones weighed six tons. Yeah. Um, big ones weighed, you know, scores of tons. How many, how did they get these things from one place to another? um especially considering that all they had were palm trees palm trees are not the sturdiest trees on the on the planet yeah. and the kind of rope you can make from like palm is not the strongest rope so um it's been a long standing mystery of how they did this
0: yeah and it, here's one prevailing theory that for m- many years and a lot of people still believe this is how they moved them was that they would finish the statue uh like we said cut it from the keel uh, lower it down with ropes from the area in the volcano, and then uh, put it on these palm logs and use those as uh, like a conveyor system, essentially. Yeah. Rolling these things along uh, very slowly over great distances, even though, like you said, it's a small island. To haul one of these things was no easy task. Right. So that's the prevailing theory. And it's actually been
1: tested uh, uh, more than once. Yeah. Um, an archaeologist named Joanne von Tilburg... Who um, said? You know what? If you took one of these things and you laid it on its back on top of some logs, like basically make a sled out of logs, yeah. facing say in north-south direction, uh, and then you roll them over logs that are in a east-west yeah, alignment, right, perpendicular to it, that that could probably work. And they tested out her theory, and apparently it took twelve people to move like a six or eight ton uh, moai. 150 feet, took him two minutes.
0: Yeah, uh, so that is a theory. Um, there's this other guy that we're going to talk about a little bit later who has some theories that just smack Diamond right in the face. Uh, his name is Carl Lipo, or Lipo, L-I-P-O, of a Cal State Long Beach. Um, go banana slugs? No. No. That's San Jose State, right? Yeah. Cal State Long Beach. The uh, the longshoremen. (laughs) We're going to hear from them. The port, the
1: the Cal State Long Beach Port Authority. (laughs) I like that.
0: Uh, So Terry Hunt of the uh, University of Hawaii.
1: No, well we're yeah yeah Carl Lippo and Terry Hunt right
0: yeah yeah okay sorry these two dudes um, who have their own theories about the other stuff like I said but they said and tested uh, they said you know what these things if they had broader shoulder I'm sorry broader bases than shoulders and it wasn't exactly flat on the bottom, you could actually walk these dudes, stand them upright, mm-hmm. get three ropes, get people on the side, uh, on each side of this, right. and one person in the back holding it up, and just kind of rock it back and forth, and it sort of waddles forward.
1: It's amazing to see. There's it's this really cool. There's a, a National Geographic video on YouTube that um, shows all these different ways that they were tried, all these different theories tried out done with like Was that the animation, man action figures or something, yeah. Well, you, you can see the real thing, too. Right. At the end, they show these guys trying out the real thing, and this thing is like walking down the road. It's, it's really cool, neat. Um, and it actually jibes with the Rapa Nui oral tradition that the, the um, Moai walked to their ahu, their pedestals. Yeah,
0: they actually said we tied rope and walked
1: them. Right. <laughs> well, supposedly the, the whoever had a lot of mana was in charge of making these things walk, and they did it with their mana. But it, the, the idea that you could make these things walk with some rope, and the i and and it tying into you know the oral tradition that they walked them. That's pretty fascinating.
0: Agreed. Uh, and in their real tests, they uh, only used eighteen people, so. That ties in with their theories about how many people live there, which we'll get to later. Right. But uh, a few ropes, 18 people, and they maneuvered a 10-foot, 5-ton uh, replica a few hundred yards. Uh, people poo-poo this and say, you know what? Not all these bases were larger than the shoulders, first of all. Right. And second of all, you basically carved a runway to do this, and it wasn't like that for them. They were taking this over terrain. Hmm. There's no way you could have walked these dudes. Let's see. Uh, but maybe they did both, you know?
1: Well, there's, a, there's plenty of other theories. This, um, this Czechoslovakian engineer named Pavel Pavel.
0: Great name, right? Yes. The magician, so nice he had to name it right. <laughs> right. He said that, um. And I say magician because I assume he's going to say magic.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't think so. Oh, okay. No, no, that's Eric von Daken who said that it was UFOs that did it. Ah, oh, right. Um, no, Pavel Pavel said, uh, it was kind of like it was similar to that walking thing, but rather than the, the, the thing actually like kind of wobbling down the road, he, uh, postulated a, um, a twisting motion. Right, So okay. it's it's kind of like walking, but no part of the base actually leaves the ground. It's right. just like one part twists forward, and then you twist the other side forward, and it slowly makes its way forward. Kind of the same. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's big debate over, okay, if you had them on a sled that was rolling over logs, were they standing up or were they laying down? Right. Um, the, the key thing to remember whenever you're talking about or hearing somebody else, more importantly, talk about Rapa Nui... Is that no one knows for certain anything.
0: No, but they're making their best, assu- uh, not assumptions, but their theories. Hypotheses at best. Hypotheses
1: at best. And, and they're, they're all, they're interpretations of the few facts that we do know, right? And, That's right. And one of the, one of the things that has long been debated too is, um, the idea of the population collapse that must have happened on Rapa Nui, right? Yeah. So when, uh, Admiral, uh, Roggeveen showed up, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, he was the first European to see the, um, the Moai in, in person. Yeah. And he was like, these things are amazing. They're huge. But I estimate there's something like maybe three thousand people living on this island. Right. So something must have led to this population decline because it would have taken ten thousand or twenty thousand people to build and construct and move these things down the volcano, construct their ahu, their pedestals, and get them up there. Um, it, it, so what happened to the Rapanui? And yeah. it. it from the moment he got back to Europe and shared this story about Easter Island this mystery has plagued archaeology in the west what led to this population decline uh, among the Rapanui? what happened on Easter Island it's one of the great mysteries of archaeology
0: alright buddy well let's take a final break here and we will come back and talk about uh, the- Our friends, whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, or a professional blog, or if you want to sell something in an online store, we have a really easy, convenient answer for you, and it's called Squarespace. That's right. Josh just whispered it, so you know it's true. Squarespace.
1: Yep. With Squarespace, you can create a beautiful website using very easy-to-use, intuitive drag-and-drop tools. You can also sell things using their seamless commerce tools. And if you ever find yourself in a pickle, you can just go online and use their 24-7 chat and talk with a real live Squarespace person right there to help you solve your problems
0: right away. That's right. And it gets even better in addition to those beautiful templates and seamless commerce tools. You can start your free trial today. Free trial today. That's at Squarespace.com. All you got to do is enter our offer code, S-T-U-F-F. You're going to get 10% off your first purchase. That's squarespace.com, offer code STUFF. Squarespace, is that your website or your partner?
1: So, Chuckers, we're back. Um, and again, just to go over, Jacob Rogovin, Admiral, Landed on right. the island. By the way, first thing he did was kill 12 Rapa Nuians, who apparently, no I didn't see anywhere, were um, posing any threat whatsoever. Well, that's what you do
0: to say, we mean business. Right. And I'm sure they were thinking, could have killed a couple of us and we'd get the picture. Right.
1: Even one. Yeah. <laughs> that would have done it. One and then make eye contact for an extended period of time does the same thing as yeah. killing a dozen people. Or
0: just fire your boomstick in the air.
1: Sure. Um so Rogovin shows up and he's like, something really bad happened here. The people uh, have built, uh, it's, I think it's something like almost 900 Moai on the island. Um, but only a couple of hundred are on their Ahu. And we didn't say their Ahu, um, actually these platforms, according to Rapa Nui tradition, were um, burial grounds, the burial, the tombs for the um chiefs that the Moai represent. Right. So very much the same way, it's very much the same way that like the Egyptians um, built uh, statues or edifices that were likenesses of the person who was buried there. This is basically the same thing.
0: Yeah, their ancestors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wow. I said rice. You did. Instead of right. right.
1: So he, so he shows up and he's like, there's hundreds of these things. A lot of them are abandoned en route. From the mountain down to the Ahu. Yeah. Some of them are left in the pit. Um, this place doesn't have any trees and there's only 3,000 people living here. Something really bad took place and everyone wants to know what.
0: Yeah. So that's, um, like we said, Jared Diamond did not invent this, but the theory that he popularized in uh, 2005 was that what they did was they, uh, basically decimated the island's resources. Uh, because they used all these palm trees. Right. They, uh, burned them down. They cleared paths. They built huts. They built canoes. They used them to roll the, the, yep. the moai with. Yeah. So they basically took away and didn't understand what the, uh, outcome of this would be. So they took all these trees out, made these pathways. And then what happened was the, uh, there were no roots to keep. And we've, I think the, we do one on erosion or, they do, but on desertification, yeah, yeah. So if you don't have tree roots, it's, the rain is just going to wash away all the topsoil. Mm-hmm. The land's going to erode. You're not going to be able to plant anything. Yeah, and they were relying because, like we said earlier, they didn't have like tons and tons of fish and food everywhere. Right. So they were relying on the vegetation for their food. Yeah, uh, food source. Plus the
1: the few animals that they did rely on, like uh, lizards, uh, birds. Yeah. When they cut down the trees, they were um, ruining those those animals' habitats. So they affected their food supply in that they stripped the the land and couldn't grow crops, but they also got rid of the birds and the lizards that were living on the island as well.
0: That's right. So the population's declining because of essentially starvation. Uh people then begin to turn on one another. Uh the head chief they they split into a couple of different factions. Uh I don't think a couple, like several factions. Mm. And then started fighting each other for the small bits of land that were still fertile.
1: Right, yeah, the the chief definitely lost control of the island um and apparently warfare broke out which is evidenced by these things called mataa supposedly evidenced, right? So these are like a very very sharp obsidian spears that Rogovin even mentions in his uh chronicle um eh, that are, are supposedly implements of war and if you scour Rapanui, you're gonna find these things everywhere. So, yeah, but not very sharp. There's, right. So there's evidence of, like, these spear-like implements all over the island, which further suggests that there was a lot of warfare there. And then, um, also this motif pops up, this Birdman motif. Yeah, I love this. So a Birdman cult popped up in the power vacuum that formed when the chief lost control in the face of this ecological crisis. And the Birdman cult actually, um, created like a parallel govern, government, I guess, based on this, uh, this god, Maki Maki.
0: Yeah. So there's a the power vacuum. Birdman cult forms because, uh, they need to, you know, fill the leadership void. Uh, there was an idea that if the first person, it was basically a contest, um, whoever finds the first egg of this turn, um of the year gets to be the 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 bird man, the, the leader of the birdmen. Right. And so they would go scrounging around, climbing up the the volcanoes and the in the mountainous areas.
1: So okay, the this article says that I saw elsewhere that they went down the cliff, swam to an offshore island and raided some tern nests.
0: Oh really? Yeah. Well, Either way they're at any they're point, after this egg. Yeah, they're looking for the Sooty turn egg. It's a great band name. Yeah, that's not bad. Or maybe Birdman Cult. That's a good one. With the album title, Sudi Turn.
1: You know the cult, the band The Cult? Oh sure. They were originally called Southern Death Cult.
0: Yeah, that is true. Uh so whoever, like I said, found this would be the the leader the of egg. the cult. The egg, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um second prize, set of steak knives. <laughs> Third prize, you're fired. Right. No. Oh. Th- actually second prize was you would stab yourself with a spear, supposedly. Supposedly, again, not a lot of evidence to suggest it. No, but this How Stuff Works article takes it as fact.
1: That's right. And it sounds like something like a six-year-old telling the story through and two. And if you if you didn't find the first egg, you had to stab yourself with your own spear.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the Birdman cult, uh, supposedly, in this uh, prevailing theory, or er, I, I don't even know if I can say prevailing anymore. In this one theory put forward was. um they were responsible for building back up the population yeah. and the culture of uh, Easter Island. Uh, they started seeing all these cave uh, drawings of birds and things, which kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. And life on Easter Island was starting to pick back up again, supposedly, when uh, the Dutch came in 1722.
1: Yeah. So all of this, this, this collapse um, that led to famine and uh, warfare and cannibalism, supposedly. Supposedly. Um, all took place right before the Europeans showed up, um, and then as the the Europeans came, first it was the Dutch in 1722. The Spanish showed up in 1772. Uh, Captain Cook, James Cook, uh, he showed up in 1774. And as when when James Cook showed up, um, after that the missionaries started to come. I think the Spanish actually annexed.
0: Easter Island. Yeah, in a very sneaky way. They said, oh, look at this. This is a writing tool, and this is something you can write on. You should practice by just doing whatever you can do with this right here on this dotted line. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, well, thank you. You just signed over the rights to the island to the Spanish. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. This scribble that you just put down. Yeah. That works for us.
1: And I think in the 1880s, 1888, Chile um, annexed Easter Island. And today, Easter Islanders are Chilean citizens still. That's right. Um, but by this time, by the late 19th century, the population of Easter Island had dwindled down to like 110 people, right?
0: Yeah, thanks to the influence of what the Westerners brought.
1: Well, okay. So uh, the that's basically the prevailing legend that we just went over, that they they... Overused the resources available to him in this greed and competition. Um, the, there, there is apparently evidence that there was a, a lot of competitiveness among the, the carvers of the moai. Yeah. Um, I guess the idea was that the bigger and better your moai, the more opportunity the mana had to flow from it. That's right? right. Um, which meant the more powerful you were in practical terms on the island. Um, and, that they were just using up all of these resources heedlessly, carelessly, and they brought a- along this ecological collapse, right? Um, and then you can throw in that they probably would have been totally wiped off the face of the earth had the Westerners not shown up and stabilized their society further. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, they Christianized them. They yeah. taught them how to read. Um, they uh, taught them how to uh, raise cattle and livestock. Yeah. And today, if you go to Rapa Nui, there are plenty of Rapa Nuians still living on the island today. I think the population's back to about 2,000, 3,000, right? Right. So um, all of that is the the narrative that stood for many, many years until um, I think about 2010, maybe, 2011. There was a, uh, a an archaeologist, and her name is Dr. Mara Mulrooney. Um, She's from uh, Honolulu. She works for the Bernice Pauahi Bishop Museum. I have trouble with Polynesian (laughs) words um, in Honolulu. And she did a a study at Rapa Nui um, and said, I think this interpretation is wrong. I don't think there was a collapse, uh, a population collapse at all.
0: That's right. Uh, This is published in the journal Antiquity. uh, And some other researchers have gotten on board this train that basically said, you know what, we're just going on this. There must have been 10, 20, 30,000 people there just because someone said, well, there had to be. Look at these statues. Right. And there really wasn't any archaeological evidence to prove anything, Mm -hmm. no scientific evidence. So their theory is that, no, the population when the Dutch showed up, 2 to 3000 was kind of about right. That was a normal stable population and yep. that it hadn't been a bunch of people before that it probably been about the same. Yeah, and that uh, Lipo guy that I talked about earlier, he was in on this and um he has demonstrated through evidence uh how those moai like I said could have been moved, uh, constructed, built and moved without 20,000 people. Yeah. Um, he said they had plenty of food. They weren't starving. Like when the Dutch showed up, they even offered the Dutch food. Right, and said, "I would like your hats." Not like, "Oh my God, I'm starving." You gotta give, help us. Yeah, give me food. So there's a lot of evidence there that that you know. That they were doing just fine, basically.
1: Right. The the thing was, is that, I mean, like, there was evidence that uh, some sort of collapse had happened. It's just the idea that there was a population collapse is, like you said, based on Rogovin's idea that there must have been more people before. Yeah. Right? Um there, there. Pretty much everyone agrees that there was an, an an ecological collapse. That there used to be way more trees, and that this huge loss of trees led to a loss of cropland, of arable soil. Um, but exactly how that happened is what's really at issue, and it's a really big distinction because the Jared Diamond camp says that the Rapanui went crazy and buck wild, building their um idols to their gods, and chopped down all the trees and shot themselves in the feet, right? Yes. Uh, the newer interpretation led by people like Mulrooney and Hunt and Lipo say, mm, we think it was rats, actually.
0: Yeah, so th- here's the idea. Uh, these rats stow away on the canoes. They can reproduce at, uh, what they say in this article, a furious rate. Uh, Polynesian rat population can double in 47 days in a lab setting. There are no predators on the island. Right. Plenty of food. Yeah. These tree roots. So if they multiplied, they said that there could have been as many as two to three million rats on this island. Right. And you, you hit it on the
1: head. They eat trees. They eat little yeah. tree shoots. They eat tree seeds. So they keep trees that have been cut down from being replaced.
0: That's right. So the rats are eating all this. There's also evidence that they were potentially eating these rats as a food source. Right. Uh, so it all is kind of lining up that it was not necessarily a, a mystery of population decimation, but they call it a success story Mm -hmm. that these people learn to adapt to their new environment, do things like eat rats, and kind of maintain a stable population.
1: Right. And then somewhere along the the way, as a result of that Birdman cult taking over power, somebody figured out that if you take um, volcanic rock and just basically sprinkle it, like um, pretty decent sized chunks of it, but just spread it out over former cropland, Yeah. when the wind blows from the sea, it's going to blow through these rocks, and it actually knocks some of the minerals out of the rocks and into the soil. And it does just enough to make the soil nutrient-rich again so that they could start growing crops once more, right? Yeah. So these people had some real ingenious adaptations, like the rats... Allegedly, ostensibly, came and kept the trees from growing back, which denuded the, the island. Yeah. So they started eating the rats because they couldn't fish anymore because they didn't have trees to build the, the canoes. Yeah. So they ate the rats. They figured out how to make the soil arable again, very smart, so they could grow crops. So the normal, the normal 2,000, 3,000 person sized population learned to sustain themselves even in the face of this ecological crisis.
0: Right. So well, it's a
1: success. Oh, yeah, that's that's the new interpretation of it.
0: I like it. Uh, another couple of things that kind of lend to this theory is that, um, remember earlier we were talking about the maata, these spearheads, supposedly, mm-hmm. that they used when they turned on each other and delved into civil war. Uh, they took a closer look at these, these uh, researchers, and they said, you know what? If these are all supposed to be spearheads, they should probably all look about the same. And these things that we're finding don't look the same. They're right. all kinds of shapes. They're not sharp. Uh, they're actually kind of dulled. Right. And it wouldn't be very good for stabbing. Um, and what we think these are, are tools, uh, for scraping, like rakes and hoes and things that were left behind. Right. And they weren't, they weren't meant to be spearheads at all.
1: Yeah. So the, this great evidence that there was a uh, enormous amount of war, uh, turns out to be, um, farm tools in this new interpretation.
0: Yeah, and then finally, when the Europeans arrived, there was a population decline, and they, uh, they say it's due to maybe STDs? Smallpox? Or, uh, yeah, the plague, smallpox, and STDs. Right,
1: because again, yeah, when the, when Rogaveen showed up, 3,000 people. In the 1880s, down to like 100, 110. Um, yeah, so the, the, it's really important to remember that all this new stuff that refutes Diamond and, and that, um, the idea, the interpretation that he, he threw his weight behind. This is all interpretation as well. It's Absolutely. a new interpretation yep. of very old facts, but, um, it swings the other way. It doesn't say these people created what Diamond called ecocide, you know, where like right. they, they killed their, their ecosystem. They killed their environment and they suffered as a result. They say, no, they had, they were dealt a bad hand with these rats that, Came aboard and and spread and and prevented trees, very important trees, yeah. from growing. Um, they persevered. And they, they persevered. It's not a story of collapse; it's a story of continuity. My favorite interpretation is Robert Krolwich's from uh, uh, NPR from Radio Lab. Sure, and he he kind of took a look at these new findings and said, "I guess I see what you're saying that this is a success story, but is it really like learning to make do?" He's like, if you do want to take the Rapa Nui story and apply it to um, modern-day ecology, which is what everyone tries to do, yeah. he's like, this is really scary because it suggests that we'll keep going along in the face of like climate change, getting worse and worse, but we'll get used to it more and more, and we'll make do. We'll yeah. just keep limping along rather than doing something about it, taking the bull by the horns and moving forward to to uh progress rather than just muddling along. That's a good point. Oh Crowwich is full of good points. Yeah,
0: those those radio web guys. They've been doing it right for years. Yeah. Still haven't met those dudes, have you?
1: No. Never have. I think our uh friends from Stuff to Blow Your Mind yeah. have.
0: Yeah. We haven't. No, I mean kind of one of the neat things about the podcaster community is that you end up meeting a lot of these people and becoming pals. Not not them though. No, I've never, like, I don't think they've ever been at anything we've done. It's not that they've avoided us or have they.
1: Oh, <laughs> I think they have, but kind of anonymously and booed.
0: Oh, come on.
1: Booed. <laughs> That's what Crow sounds like.
0: No. It would be, uh, very much more well produced than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sound effects, <laughs> right. music.
1: Right. It'd be good.
0: Uh, if you want to know
1: more about Rapa Nui, type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Read that, and then go do more research on the web to get the full story. Yeah, or come up with your own theory. Sure. It's the fun thing to do. Send it in. Yeah. Uh, I said search bar in there somewhere, so it's time for listener mail.
0: Yeah, the very special listener mail that I promised, because uh, if you remember, many years ago, we did a special two-part episode uh, on our travels through Guatemala with you and uh, me and Jerry. And some
1: Ron Zacapa.
0: Yeah. We all went down there uh, on special invitation from our friends at the Cooperative uh, cooperative for Education, co-ed, right. yeah. out of uh, Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And um, we used to talk about them a lot because the great work they do uh, with their school book program. Right. And, uh, I mean, they've just done some, like, their life's work, you know, helping out the children of Guatemala. Yeah. It's, it's a great program, too. Self-sustainable. Well, they got a new one, and we haven't talked about it in a while. So we heard from Ann uh, Dempsey, our pal, down there. Oh, right. And, uh, and this all came about because Ann was a fan and listener. Yep. So and she
1: still listens, huh? Yeah, she says she does. Well, I believe her. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, here it goes. Uh, they have a new program going called uh, uh, Thousand Girls Initiative, and it's very cool. What they're doing is they're ramping up efforts to keep 1,000 girls in Guatemala from dropping out of school by 2020, uh, as we learned when we went over there. Keeping these kids in school is a real challenge because parents are often like, "No, you know, you're 10 now. You need to stay home and work." Right? Because we need that. Yeah. So keeping these, uh, especially young girls, educated is a really valuable thing. So uh, they've made it their mission to keep a thousand girls from dropping out by 2020. Uh, it's one of the best investments you can make in the developing world is education. It takes 12 years of education to break the cycle of poverty in Guatemala. 12 years. Uh, but, a uh, poor rural Guatemalan, which we met plenty of down there, they have a 1 in 20 chance of reaching that milestone. So, uh, you know, it's, they have an uphill challenge ahead of them. Yeah. So what they're doing now, they have, uh, you can sponsor them. You can, uh, make it, uh, you can be a sponsor and pledge to keep a girl from dropping out of school, uh, $70 a month, or if you want to do $35 a month, they will actually match your donation with another sponsor to make sure that that one student is able to continue her education. Oh, that's smart. So either 35 bucks or $70 a month, mm-hmm. you can literally keep a girl in school.
1: How do they do it, Chuck?
0: Well, they uh, go to, they have a very special link called thousandgirlsinitiative.org. Mm-hmm. And that's spelled out, T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D, girlsinitiative.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can actually pick out the student you sponsor. Nice. It's one of the great things that Coed does. You can put a real face And a real person, send them seventy or thirty-five bucks a month, and like, it's a really great thing that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, So that's from Ann, and that's from uh, Coed, and they're still doing great work, and we just think they're they're lovely people, and we couldn't be more proud of their continued efforts.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks a lot, Ann. Thanks for keeping us updated. And uh, if you want to go help them, what's that URL again, Chuck? ThousandGirlsInitiative.org. Nice. Uh, and in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast and Josh Um Clark. Uh, you can hang out with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and uh, Stuff You Should Know, both with their own Facebook pages. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.